Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Hey, Teresa. What's up? Guess what happened since the last time we recorded? A whole lot of stuff. Yes, but something specific. Disney Plus came out. Okay, we're talking about that. I don't know. You went to Disney World, so I don't know if that's what we were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that later. Okay. Yes, it did. And I was so ready. I wanted it to start like right at midnight, even though it wasn't supposed to and stuff. And then it did. Were you awake and functioning when it went live, like real live? Actually, the I, was, it went up? I wasn't planning on staying up late that night because like I knew people were talking about, oh, I'm going to stay up late and watch The Mandalorian. And it wasn't really clear when it was going to come out, like when it was going to actually drop. There was like mixed no. messages around that. Lots. <laughs> so I kind of, I happened to be up late and I was doing some work and then I noticed a tweet. I think it was a tweet from Skywalking Through Neverland that it had gone live. And so I'm like, okay, I'm still up. I wasn't planning on staying up, but I'm up. So I might as well turn on the Mandalorian. So I did. There you go. I did the same thing. I was actually awake with Sarah. She and I were the, we were like on the actual phone yelling at it because we had been watching Twitter and it was going live for everything except Apple devices. And we both have like an Apple TV and stuff. And we were like, what the heck? We were so angry. And then she got it to pull up on hers. And then I got it to pull up on mine. And then we started freaking out. And, you know, like I hadn't planned to actually watch anything that night, you know, or at least watch the Mandalorian. Like I was going to play around with the app. And then I just clicked on the Mandalorian. It loaded. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm not turning this off now. So right. I ended up watching it. Yeah, it's pretty much similar thing that happened to me. And yeah, it was cool. I mean, I was tired, but I was I really liked watching The Mandalorian. That was really cool. And I'm glad I stayed up and watched it because the next morning when I think a lot of other people tried to watch it, there were like uh, various login issues and and all of that. So Well, yeah, it crashed, which I mean, come on. If you really expected it not to crash, then you're a crazy person uh just with how many people i think i read that within the first day of launch there were 10 million disney plus accounts yes. so 10 at least 10 million people made accounts just to watch disney plus so if you didn't think it was gonna crash you're crazy yeah 10 million is a lot i mean i think Hulu it is has... a lot I think Hulu has 27 million ever and yeah. they, they've been you know they've been running since 2007 so well they were they were comparing it to Netflix and Netflix has like you know I don't know like some hundred million or something like that and they've been operating for how long and then there's 10 million in one day yeah I think well, Netflix is one like 160 day, million you know one theoretically one day but you know what I mean right yeah but I mean I don't think anybody's doubting that it's it was a successful launch overall, and they're definitely getting a lot of subscribers. And then just the early buzz on the content has been great. Um, I We should probably throw out a spoiler warning if we're going to talk anything about Mandalorian. Big time. Know, Big time right now. I know Do not it. everybody has access to it yet. There's people in other countries that don't have access to it yet. I've been trying to avoid talking any spoilers online, but on the podcast... We're not going to be doing like Mandalorian reviews or anything typically, but we probably will talk about it from time to time. So um, this is your spoiler warning for the first two episodes of Mandalorian because in the next you know five or ten minutes we may bring up specific details. We may. Oh, we are. We are. In our conversations. Like, it, we are definitely going to be talking Mandalorian right now. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was your warning. 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 Okay. We can't say we didn't warn people. Uh-huh. Um, but what did you think? Like first two episodes, I, there's another episode that's going to drop, uh, overnight. Oh my God. At midnight. Oh, you do. You think I'm staying up. 
I'm staying up. By the time going, this releases, by the time yeah. this episode of our podcast releases, the third episode will be out. Yeah, I'm staying up because I'm going to go see the Mr. Rogers movie, and then I might as well just stay awake. That's my plan. Uh, so <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy it. I love it. I think it's amazing. Uh, I'm not going to go so far as to be like, this is the best Star Wars there's been since A New Hope or whatever. Um, I'm not one of those people because I don't agree with that. But it does feel very Star Wars. And it's super fun. I enjoy it. Uh, I have a few like little nitpicky things here and there. But, I mean, come on, that's natural. But overall... It's fantastic. The music is great. The cinematography is amazing. Like, it's totally going to get nominated for awards and stuff. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Emmys. Yeah. Emmys. Yeah, I'm I'm loving it. I think it... I wasn't sure what to expect with it. And I remember Mm-mm. just seeing some of the clips early on, kind of being like, oh, I don't know if this is really going to be as good as everybody's expecting. But I was happy to be proven wrong. I really love the first two episodes. And... One of the things I was concerned about was the actual character of the Mandalorian because uh, Pedro Pascal is, he's so charismatic and I'm like, how is he going to really be able to portray that through armor or is he even supposed to? Is he going to be this really stoic kind of boring character? But I was really surprised that you get a lot of his personality, even though he's wearing the helmet the whole time and even like humor um, you know, specifically between him and IG-11 in that first episode, I thought was really funny, kind of the back and forth. So, I'm, yeah, I'm really liking his character. I think the show is really cool. There's been some crazy surprises. Well, I don't really think you should be surprised with the fact that you're seeing a helmeted character emote. Uh, as Star Wars fans, we've been sort of conditioned into that. Like, we saw emotion through Vader. We see emotion through Stormtroopers. You know, we've gotten used to it. So I think. But think of the characters you just said. They're all kind of boring. I mean, Vader is not boring in the movies. I mean, he's boring in his personality. He's not like a very charismatic, like funny guy. You know, like we've never really had a helmeted character that had a big personality. And I'm not saying the Mandalorian has a big personality, but he definitely um, he's a little less boring than like Phasma or Vader or any stormtroopers that we've seen. Even Boba Fett in the films, you know, he didn't really do anything. So I like the fact that he's the main character and kind of has to per- have some kind of a personality. Um, I was just surprised how well he kind of came across with his personality through the helmet. And I wonder, I don't know if you have a prediction on this, like how long or if he'll always have the helmet on. Do you think like that we might see you know i don't theorize i don't theorize come on now that's not a huge theory i have no i haven't i haven't even thought about it honestly haven't even once thought about it i know that bugs people because people ask me questions like that and i'm like i don't know you're like i live in (laughs) the moment i don't i don't think about it (laughs) okay fair enough um at first i thought for sure i'm like yeah his, his helmet's coming off you can't have a main character that's helmeted but now, after the first two episodes, I'm like, ah, oh, this kind of works. So we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I care. <laughs> yeah, I like the actor. Honestly, I so, yeah, I do too. Um, so I we so far we've kind of tiptoed around. We haven't really said anything too spoilery, are we? Baby Yoda. <laughs> Was that the biggest <laughs> surprise for you so far? Oh my god, I didn't expect anything like that to happen. So I'm like. Not to mention now the cutest character to ever appear in Star Wars. Uh, so is this surprised? I just mo- for you? I, I just it, there. He's way cuter than Ewoks. Are you kidding me? He's so cute. I think Baby Yoda. He oh my gosh! Could be a she. Baby. Well, yeah. Whatever it is, it. Or do they say he on the it. bounty? No, they don't. They call it an it. Okay, so it could be a female. They say they say it. Yeah. So who knows? So but no theories about Baby Yoda? You're just enjoying nope. the cuteness? Nope. I have no right. theories. Uh, I've heard theories that were tried to be shoved at me. I hate all of them. So I'm... <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not having it. Well, no, I don't like it. Like, okay, there's one theory that it's like a clone of Yoda. And I'm sick of all this clone crap. 
Like, I don't want it to be a clone of Yoda. Why can't it just be somebody else? Why does everybody have to be related to somebody or cloned after or whatever? And it's weird for me because I'm not a super religious person, but I have a huge issue with this everything's being cloned thing. I'm like, no. There had, I mean, you're just stuff. talking about how all the a lot of theories around clones because there, in yes. Star Wars in and of itself hasn't had a lot of clones. Other no, than the I'm actual talking about clones. all the theories about clones. But, right. Yeah. You know, like Ray's a clone, I don't like Yoda it. clone, like yes, the stuff you don't like. like. Uh, okay. I don't like the clone crap. I don't want it. I don't want everything to just be a clone because then I feel like there's no originality, you know, and what the hell is the point then? <laughs> yeah, I don't like, really have that, a strong I don't, I don't know. opinion about clones. If it's if it's a clone, it won't bother me. If it's not, it won't bother me. I don't, actually, at this point, it's so early in the story that I'm like, I, I'm open to whatever explanation they give us eventually, but I don't have a really strong theory as to what this creature is. The fact that it's using the Force um was pretty cool i for whatever reason i just kind of assumed that the mandalorian was gonna kind of not be a force show so that really surprised me yeah and you know that was something that was kind of out there before the second episode came out was like will it be force sensitive are is everyone that is that race you know whatever it is because we obviously don't know uh are they force sensitive and also i would just like to put in here for all the people getting mad on social media about being it being called baby yoda what else are we supposed to call it you know like there's people that are getting mad and it's like it's not yoda because it's five years after of return of the jedi and he's already dead it's like duh yeah we know <laughs> it's not yoda we don't have a We're species it's... we don't have a species name so how are we supposed to call it anything else anyway uh <laughs> pet peeve of mine that's been happening lately uh i wasn't sure if it was going to use the force or not but then when he got hurt and you're what he's watching him try to fix himself and he's like i don't know how he gets out of his little pod thing because he clearly doesn't have very long legs so he levitates, i don't know obviously. but anyway he I, obviously uh so he kept getting out and like wanting to help him that was just hilarious to me he kept getting out wanting to help getting put back yeah he got out and it's, it's such a little kid thing to do it's like i'm gonna crawl out of my crib and then you put it back in and then it gets back out and then you try to put it back <laughs> there's something really funny in me about that. it's an absolutely adorable creature it is it's yeah. amazing and I love that he used the force. Yeah. In a really powerful way. Um, oh my gosh. And then he had to take like a two day nap. <laughs> that was cool. So yeah, the other big surprise to me was kind of the IG 11 character at the end of the first episode where he, he was going to kill the baby and then, then the Mandalorian just shot him in the head. I was like, Oh, yeah. like this IG 11 character has been in all the marketing and they were kind of, you know, talking up who was voicing him and all that stuff and then he only to die now i don't know maybe he comes back you know some someone repairs him but i thought that was kind of an interesting shocker where you're like oh this character's dead already well that whole scene is interesting i think for a lot of reasons that like the mandalorian realizes how rare this is you know this it thing and he's like no we're not gonna kill it you know yeah, and it's interesting that two different bounty hunters had the same bounty, um, but the IG-11 character was kind of like, I was told to kill it, whereas Mandalorian had the option. You know, they, you could bring it in dead or alive, but preferably alive. So it was kind of interesting, like, did somebody else put a bounty on it? Is the same person put a bounty on him? So, some un unanswered no, questions. No, I think there's I think there's multiple bounties on him, because then you get the Trandoshans. Right. Yeah. You know, so anyway. Yeah, but. Weird. Yeah, we're only two episodes in. I'm really intrigued. I do think it feels different than anything we've ever gotten in Star Wars. I know people are saying, oh, this feels like, you know, this feels more like Star Wars than whatever, but I don't agree. I think that it just feels like, it does feel like Star Wars, but it also feels very different from anything we've ever gotten before. There's nothing you can really say. Mm -hmm. This feels like this. Mm, 
yeah i don't know uh for me it feels like star wars but i but like would you say there's one specific star wars thing that it feels like no it just feels like star wars like it feels like it fits it doesn't feel like it doesn't fit into the universe yeah i completely i agree i'm not saying that when i say it feels different I, i mean that it just feels like a different type of star wars than we've ever gotten before yeah, but it still feels very Star Wars. Right. Yeah. Feels like it fits into the universe. If you haven't seen The Mandalorian, watch it. Yeah, I think everybody's watching it. That's all I hear people talking about how, and for the most part, most of the people that I've heard talk about it seem to really, really like it. I have not seen very many people that don't. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, the other thing that we want to talk about before we get to our interview is well, we have an interview with Zoraida Cordova, um, who wrote uh, Crash of Fate, Woo-hoo. which is a story Yay, that is Crash focused around Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire, Batu, all of those fun words. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> and I got to go to actually recently got to go to Disney World's version of Galaxy's Edge, and I had previously been and to the the california one you've been to both now i have been to both now you and i have both been to both now yes so which was really cool but one of the things that we heard that's kind of sad is the um the wishing tree that's in both of them uh the one specifically in walt disney world they actually took the ribbons down I know, it, which is totally just, ugh. So in our interview with Zoraida, we actually talked about that. We talked about the wishing tree being an actual thing that's at Disney World and in Galaxy's Edge. And now they took them down. The From what I read, they took them down because more people were adding to it, which is kind of the real in-universe idea of it, is that you add wishes and when your ribbon you know, disintegrates off the tree or comes off or whatever. That means your wish has been granted. Is the theory behind it? Uh, but I guess Disney didn't want non-approved ribbons or something. You know, although I don't get why they can't just like figure out which ones are not ones they put in and just take them down at the end of the night. Like, why is that a problem? One of the things I noticed in the California one was there were ribbons all tied up in the tree, and they were kind of all different colors. But in California or in Florida, all the ribbons were the same color, which I thought was odd. Um, and now apparently they're gone. But yeah, I kind of, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's like, well, if the whole point of the tree is that people can add to it, then why not let people add to it? And then if it starts to get a little bit crazy and there's just too many ribbons in there, just start to take them down here and there just so it doesn't get overwhelming. But maybe they're just afraid people will climb up into it and it'll become like a a hazard. No, I, no, it's, it's purely, it's purely a, it's, it's a park thing. Like it's not a part of their design. And so I think it's the difference between Disney World and Disneyland again. There's a lot. So Disney World has guests coming from all over the world. And this may be the only time that they ever see galaxy's edge so they want to preserve it in its state that it's supposed to be in for all guests so if it's if that kind of thing is happening then it's not the same you know and so that you know there i don't know that's my that's my logic behind it yeah but then again you know they also had another change in galaxy's edge where they change the menu names at Disney World to being more real world instead of in universe and then they got major backlash from that and changed it back. <laughs> so, you know, I think there are just it's some growing pains of of how do I want to say it? Like having such an immersive land because they've never really had a truly, truly immersive area in a park before. They've kind of played around with it. And so now they're trying to figure out how this works, you know? Yeah. So they need to figure that out. And maybe they'll put the ribbons you know, that, back up at some point. Um, I'd like to see maybe. that. Just because it, it became, it was too. such a, it was in both of the books. It was in Crash of Fate. It was also in Black Spire that they mentioned it as well. So, I mean, they intentionally put it in right. these books. And so it is a part of 
of Batu that you know you kind of want to see it be there when you go visit so it can match what you read in the books right yeah I agree so I agree it makes me sad was there anything that you noticed about Galaxy's Edge in California that was different from Galaxy's Edge in Florida or like anything that was like a standout difference to you that you were like oh Nothing was a big standout. I think I had read online a couple of things that people had already pointed out, like, oh, this thing is a different color, or this little area is a little bit different. So I kind of already knew about those. It wasn't like I discovered them. Um, so I think, really, I was surprised by how much it felt the same. I expected it to feel like noticeably different, like the layout might be different or just kind of how, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was going to be different, and it wasn't. I kind of forgot that I was at a different place. I had remembered like kind of the layout and remembered my way around. And so I kind of expected like, oh, I'm going to have to learn a different, you know, layout a little bit. And it was like, no, this is exactly, everything's exactly in the same spot. Mm. Well, you spent a lot more time there than I did. So for me, it felt a lot bigger in Florida and it felt a lot easier to get around and but there's some major differences i was also really wowed in florida when i was not in california but i like i said there's some really big reasons as to why i think that is so i think it's because i was not rushed in florida and i did the like early extra extra magic hours so i was able to just enter and it wasn't crowded and I was able to just like walk around at my own, you know, leisure and I didn't have tons and tons of people around me. And I also wasn't trying to get anything specific done. I was just meandering, you know, and so I had time to take it in and I had time to absorb it. And I think that made a huge difference. And then also there not being a ton of people there made it feel like a whole lot bigger, um, Overall, I think my experience in Florida was better than my experience in California for those reasons. So, um, yeah, I will yeah. say that going to Florida because I had already gotten the California trip out of the way and got all the expectations out of the way that when I went in Florida, it felt I just felt a lot more relaxed and I just really just enjoyed being there and kind of was just like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, whereas, exactly. Yeah. Whereas in California, I was kind of like okay, like, you know, is it meeting my expectations or I need to kind of review it, you know? Um, this time I was just chill and I was like, ah, I'm just going to go around. I don't have to hit everything. I don't have to build a lightsaber. I don't have to, I'm just going to kind of enjoy it for what it is. And I, I felt a lot more relaxed and it enjoyed it more. Yeah, I did too. And I also got to like actually sit down and eat and enjoy my food and like try stuff and you know, I was, went there a couple of times and I was able to actually fit in a really quick trip back the day we were leaving because we were riding the Skyliner around. It was the first day the Skyliner was open. And so I was able to like get back in there because we had to go back to Hollywood Studios and I was like, well, let's go get something to eat, you know? So we went to Galaxy's Edge and it was kind of cool because I could just like walk in like any other Disney park, you know, it didn't have to be this whole ordeal uh so that was pretty cool i like the not having to deal with a whole plan to just be able to get in no wristband needed <laughs> yeah no wristband needed just walk in it was great i will say Ogus cantina uh was had a bit of a different feel in in the florida one i felt like the the staff or the cast members that were there were more engaged. They seemed to yes. kind of be more in character. Um, I really thought the, you know, the bartenders, the waitresses, everyone walking around, like our specific waitress was really interactive and just kind of stayed in character the whole time. And it was really funny. So I was, that was like, actually okay, cool. throughout the whole park. Actually. I noticed that everywhere. Like even at, um, at Docking Bay 7, it was like that. Like they were walking around cleaning stuff up or whatever. I forget what I said, but there were some amazing interactions that when I went out into regular Hollywood studios, I got really sad because they didn't happen 
<laughs> it wasn't like that anymore. And I'm like, this is sucky. Uh, but yes, I agree. But again, I didn't spend that much time in the one in California. So, you know, and I was there like right when it opened. So things were really chaotic. So it's like just totally different experiences, I think. I ended up getting a Spira as well, which is uh, that basically the coin that's like the the currency in Batu. Yeah, the gift card. Yeah, and I got that, and that was really cool because I ended up getting it on my way out of Galaxy's Edge, so I didn't really use it that much in Galaxy's Edge, but I used it all throughout the Food and Wine Festival at the different food stands. And it was like a really mm-hmm. cool way to pay for everything. And they just, you know, they just pull out the barcode scanner and scan it. And it's kind of just acts like a gift card. But every, and most of the people like knew exactly what it was and were like, oh, this is so cool. So I was like, oh, this is like a cool way to, to have money at Disney World. So I think I'm going to like put money on that the next time I go back to Disney World and just kind of use that as my w- main way of paying for things. Well, a lot of people do that with gift cards. They do the Disney gift card and that's how they, they do their trips. So. There you go. Yes. So. Only with the heavy Star Wars one. <laughs> it's really kind of like, it's a nice size um, and it, like to fit in your pocket and it's easy to kind of get in and out and pay for things. But I am a little worried about it because it's like a coin. I'm like, oh, what happens if you lose it? You know, you kind of just lose all that money. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful. Yeah. But we do have this interview with Zoraida, um, which we want to go ahead and play for you guys now. So we are here with Zoraida Cordova, who is the author of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Crash of Fate, among other things. And we wanted to just kind of jump right into it and see if you could tell us a little bit about your personal Star Wars fandom. Like, when did you get into Star Wars? Kind of how early in life did you discover it? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, I got into the Star Wars fandom when I was a kid. Uh, My mom, I remember my mom bringing home the V8 chess movies uh obviously my like my mother and my uncles had seen the i grew up with my mom and my uncles and they had seen it in you know when it first came out in ecuador uh and then when we moved to the states uh it was like i don't remember if it was like a birthday present it was some sort of present but it obviously became along with the little mermaid the thing that the vhs's that i watch over and over and over again (laughs) um and you know, I think that I just, Star Wars used to be a more, it wasn't as, it's always been big, but it wasn't, it didn't have the kind of, of public fandom, I think, you know, it was more of like, oh, you like Star Wars, you're such a nerd, uh, when, in high school, but now it's like everyone, you know, everyone like proudly displays their Star Wars flag, uh, which I think is great, but I think, you know, it was very much from a very early age. You know, and I think you and I are actually pretty close in age because you just said Little Mermaid, VHS, and this, and I'm like, wait, that was me too. I'm yeah. like, did you put blankets around your legs and pretend you were a mermaid? Because absolutely. I did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm 32. So. Oh, yeah. So we're like literally the same age. I'm two years older than you, but it's we're the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sisters in the forest over here. There we go. <laughs> Okay, so what does it mean to you to write Star Wars as one of the few women and people of color? Because that's new in Star <laughs> Wars writing, yes. and I love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I didn't grow up on the books because I didn't know they existed. I, you know, books were such a privilege in my in my life. Uh, my mom would buy me books at like liquidators or garage sales when she saw them. And so for me, I didn't really like reading until I was 13 because all of my books had originally come from school. And in school, they were like, oh, you're an immigrant. Here, read The House on Mango Street. <laughs> and, uh, and, wow. <laughs> you know, those, you know, those, and like, you know, teachers try to connect with you and, and that's all good. But I wanted like magical stories and fantasy stories and science fiction. But, you know, at the same time, like, you, I could see this divide with with um, with uh, sci-fi and women specifically, um, and fantasy and women. But so you know, as I got older, and I was like, I don't care what anybody says or thinks. Like I'm gonna write what I want to write, and I started writing fantasy uh, for teens, 
Uh, and then getting to write Star Wars a few years later, that just sort of blew my mind because I never thought that I could be part of that universe. Um, and not because of like, like not, you know, I, I, I'm, I've written 12 books by now. So like, I'm qualified to write novels. Uh, but I still hadn't pictured that this was something I could do, you know, because it felt like such like this mystical club, like, how do you write a Star Wars? Um, or how do you get chosen to write for a Star Wars, you know? Um, and so it for it was an incredible amount of pressure. I spent the first week of my deadline sort of panicking and being like, oh my God, what if I fuck it up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I talked to some of the other writers, uh, like Justina Ireland, and um, she was like, first of all, calm down. <laughs> Second of all, you know, they choose you because they know you can do this and because of your skill, not because, you know, and, and not because of your knowledge, your encyclopedic knowledge of star Wars. Um, because there's, you know, there's, there's somebody there in, um, at Lucasfilm who will correct you if you get something wrong. So you don't look like an idiot. Uh, once people start reading the book. Uh, and so it, you know, it was this whole journey of emotions, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm super happy to be part of this family. Well, from another Latina to you, <laughs> I am glad that you are here. Uh, you. It's just it's it's just so cool to see like the last name of Cordova. I on know the with, my, but... with my accent mark over it. Over right. The <laughs> <laughs> Pretty neat. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, and so you know. Uh, not having access like I went from not having access to books and like or just the books that were in the library which in the library in Jamaica Queens is very small um and Hollis Queens was very small and so like I went from that to I'm in a room my bedroom is overflowing with books so I've sort of overcompensated over the years <laughs> so there was a brand new trailer for this little Star Wars movie coming out in December. Oh, just this little thing. Yeah, this little thing. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. <laughs> but we kind of just wanted to know, because we've been geeking out about it, initial thoughts, feelings about oh, Skywalker. So, so many thoughts and feelings. Uh, I think my, well, I watched it with my brother uh, and his girlfriend and he started recording like a reaction video, which is just me crying for like two minutes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm so hyped. Like I, I don't even know what to feel because there's so many different moods that they have shown us throughout the other snippets um, that it's, you know, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. And I, I, I'm not like the kind of, I'm not, I'm not the, the theorizing kind of fan, because I just like to experience it and then and then break it down after I watch it 70 million times. Um, so I just like I, I want it I want it to happen now so that I can you know get over all of these emotions uh, and and see what we're actually gonna be given. I feel like they're trying to trick us. <laughs> Again, okay, so this is kind of freaky. Aaron Head, can you tell? She and I are like four sisters because seriously, <laughs> I'm the exact same way. I don't, I don't theorize. I don't do spoilers. I, I just want to like just give it to me and let me absorb it. And yeah. I don't, you know, I don't do all that. Uh, so this is just getting really, really cool. For me. <laughs> I can't help myself to theorize just because that's the yeah. way my brain works. So I, yeah. I definitely theorize, but I also try to keep a really open mind. Where it's like, okay, right. I have my theories. I even have things that I kind of hope are going to happen. But at the same time, it's like, all right, just keep your mind open because it might not go the way you're expecting it to go. And that can lead to, you know, a major letdown. So definitely for this yeah. movie, I'm just kind of like, let's just keep my mind wide open. Yeah, my brother, my, see, my, my brother is the theory guy. And he's, he's uh, 27. And he spends the entire time just like, the entire day just throwing these theories at me and I'm like I threw one back at him where I was like Ray is a clone she had like maybe nice uh, <laughs> and he was like he 
had no reply. I was like, yes, finally. I got you to cry. <laughs> I'm guessing you're not, because you're not writing anything that would make you privy to script no. or anything, right? Okay, that's good. Absolutely not. And even if, you know, I, I have heard the way in which some of these writers, this like the situations and how they're given to uh, access to these scripts. And I'm like, that's so much anxiety that I don't even know if I could do it. Uh, so it's just, it's funny. It feels like you're being put into, or it sounds like you're being put into like a chamber, uh, with the Holy Grail and as like, or, or, or that, like, you know, in Aladdin where they go into the, uh, the cave of cave wonders, of cave of wonders. And they're like, don't touch anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, we heard that too. It's actually more of a burden than it is a privilege. I think Dan Wallace told us because he was writing stuff that involved, I think it was the Force Awakens or something, mm-hmm. and just how painful it is to to know stuff and then just be, you know, like you're. It's like you're on the outside and everybody else is over here talking and like you can't even like cross the street to talk to anybody because like you know things, you know. You're afraid. Yeah, you you're... Know some people who are have the best poker face. When I would be like, "What did you know? What did you find out?" And it would just be like poker face. Whereas with me, I'm my emotions are on my face. Like I can't hide anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think a big downside to it too, would be the first time you're experiencing the story is through a script and not through like mm. all the visuals that everybody else gets to see. Exactly. So you're right. probably, I think it was, I think you're right. It might've been Dan Wallace. And I know Jason Fry had the same thing happen. Oh to yeah. Him, where it was kind of like, they were saying that the way they kind of imagined it isn't even how it ended up being on screen, you know? So it was a lot different than, you know, the re- reading the script kind of put it into their brain so i wouldn't want to experience it the first time that way yeah because like scripts are not literary masterpieces like you don't they don't they don't have like the 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 nuance of of cadence or or um the description or in depth of of, uh you know of what a novel would have so right so you got to write a book that was based on something that is in Disney Disneyland Disney World. Yeah. Um, so how like when they were developing that stuff at what point did you get involved where you were kind of privy to everything that was going on with the parks? Um so I got involved I don't I don't remember what stage because I knew that the theme park had been announced but I sort of put it out of my mind because I didn't I didn't even compute that they would want to do novels that tie into the theme park. Um, until I got a, uh, an email or message um, asking if I wanted to be part of it. And then I had to take a test, um, <laughs> sort of like, are you, can we trust you with secret information? Literally, like, this is like a Disney thing. They send you this, like, quiz. Um, and if you fail it, you have to, I think you take it until you pass it. It's like, it's you know, it's a common sense quiz. Um, and... I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about the quiz, but it's just a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Failed the quiz on this podcast. Uh, so, it, you know, I, I I was able to see a lot of the documents while the park was being built because I couldn't go there and tour. Um, I was just given this document along with Delilah Dawson and George Mann. Um, we were given an... Um, Ethan Sachs and Will Sliney who did the comics uh, we were given all of this stuff right like all, character character art sheets um, illustrations and they're all mock-ups because the park still hadn't been built but this was just the the concept art and the concept art was so beautiful it was it was um it really kind of made you think back to like 70s Star Wars um, and as soon as you logged on, um, as soon as you logged on, you were, <laughs> your name was watermarked on, on the document pages, uh, with the time and date that you logged in. Oh my uh, gosh. So it's so it felt super, super official. <laughs> um, but we were, I think, I don't know about Delilah's process or the other, the other writers, but for me, they asked me to pitch them an idea um, of what I wanted to write. They knew that they wanted a romantic adventure, 
and they knew that they wanted to be teen. Um, so obviously I love lost stars, but I, you know, I, I didn't want to have the same kind of tragic ending. So I was given the option to end it on a different note. <laughs> um, and then I pitched, you know, pitched the idea, got to see the, the secret docs, um, and, just they told me to start writing and I did that because the deadline was a very short so about how long did you actually have to write um I think it was I think it was like three months wow that is short yeah <laughs> and I've, I've written I've written novels in a shorter amount of I, like I wrote a, I wrote one of my romance novels in a week but romance has very specific beats um and I had it was like the third book in a series so I I knew exactly what needed to happen um and also I didn't leave my house for that entire week I just like sustained myself on takeout and pots of coffee and that's why I can't drink coffee anymore because I just drank too much that one <laughs> that one <Gosh>. week <laughs> It sounds like Jane the Virgin, when she was writing one of her novels and like her first novel, and she didn't take a shower. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did shower because I can't not, but <laughs> but it's just, but I was, the rest of me was a disaster. I went into my local Starbucks and they were like, are you, what, what do you, go home. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, working on, on Galaxy's Edge was really cool because um the the art that they that the art in the in the concept uh documents were it felt like like Ralph McQuarrie kind of art um and I know that they wanted to evoke that feeling when they were building everything so they you know they want Batu to feel like a world that's been used and uh, and lived on um and so I just had to try to take that and put that into the book so you did get to visit Galaxy's Edge but wasn't it after you finished writing the book yeah, that was really stressful, only for like a second. I mean, it was the most fantastic experience of my life. I had never been to Disney World before. So I got to go on this like, amazing five day trip to um, the opening in, in or the pre opening in, um, in Florida, with Delilah, who wrote Black Spire, and uh, the comic book duo uh Ethan Sachs and, and Will Sliney and it was the four of us and we were like this crew and then we had all of our guides and some and the publishing people um and so when we each of us had the same reaction where we walked in and we were like this is amazing and then we let out a breath of relief because we were like oh my god thank god I got this part right we each had that moment where we looked at a specific area of the park and we were like yes I didn't describe it wrong because like imagine that discrepancy um and that's what happens when you're working with something that hasn't or is in the process of being created right um so it you know that, that after after that tiny moment of panic we had the best time ever what was the one area for you the one area for me was the marketplace like the direction of getting from the marketplace to getting to docks area um, because obviously galaxy's edge in Florida is a, it's sort of everything sort of like truncated to what it would be if you were on the planet of Batu. Right. Um, and, and there are more places on Batu than we see in galaxy's edge. So I just wanted to make sure that everything sort of felt right. Um, yeah. So I'm going to tell you just a short story. So I think I had let you know I was reading when I was going to Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Well, I mm -hmm. didn't get that far. And so, and I was just there for one, like four hour thing and it was real fast and it was at night. Mm -hmm. And so after I came home back to Texas and I was reading the book and I saw the wishing tree stuff, I was like, oh my God, was it there? <laughs> Was it there? Does anybody know if it was there? And I, but no, none of the rest of my friends that were going had read the book yet. So I didn't want to like spoil it. So I, I think I told some people, I said, can you just look for a tree that has ribbons on it? And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, just look, you know, because I didn't see it. And so then when I went to Disney World uh, just a couple weeks ago, I like went up and like hugged the tree. I was like, oh, tree, you're yeah. here. Oh, <laughs> 
the tree there. I was so so um I got to go on an episode of the Star Wars show where they do a little walkthrough um mm-hmm. through Galaxy's Edge. And my my spot was in front of the Trillion Wishing Tree. Yes. And so Matt Martin asked me, like, what does it mean to the people of Batu? And I'm like, it's wishes and love. <laughs> I think I think Teresa, when you were, I think you sent me a message because I hadn't read the book yet mm-hmm. before I went. And oh yeah, I think I probably you had did. sent me a message like, hey, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but can you see if there's this tree with ribbons? And I did find it. Um, I think I sent you a picture of it. But yeah, I was I was kind of wondering, is there? Because I know the wishing tree kind of plays a part in the story. Uh, was there, Zoraida? Did you go to the tree and add anything to it, or put any kind of I ribbon or string to, to it? I wanted to so badly, but I didn't want to get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> is there a specific did... string on the tree that maybe represents kind of what happens in the book to you, like um, that you've identified? So there, I was. I was looking specifically for a blue ribbon, but I I did request it to somebody, but I don't know whether or not they're going to actually put it in. Well, they uh, should. <laughs> but I, I went up to like some head of Disney something and I was like, hey, can we add more ribbons? And he was like, well, you know, it the tree's still very young, so we can't add it until it gets, a, until it grows a little bit more um, because they still have to trim it. You know, oh so. yeah, because it is a real tree. That's right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I love that it's a real tree because they they totally could have, you know, just done you know a plaster kind of thing that would never grow. But the fact that it's actually no, a real tree that's going to grow is awesome. When we were there, the day that we were filming all this uh, backstage stuff, um, it was the the media day, right? Like it was only media that was allowed at the park the day before opening. Um, it's like 95 degrees. There's a ton of people walking around, cameras. Everybody's trying to get the best shot possible. Um, and it, you know, at the same time, people are still working on the design. They're touching up like little gold flecks on the side of a door, um, like a, 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 like a fracture on a window, um, or they were they were planting moss that will grow um, through it'll grow through the years um, to just make it feel like, like it's more lived in. So the detail of Galaxy's Edge is incredible. As I was reading the story, um, I couldn't help but like Izzy and Jules seemed like so real to me as characters. Like they were real people. (laughs) I was wondering, is there any inspiration that came from like real life experiences that you kind of put into those characters or like events that happened to those characters? Um, not specifically. I knew that I wanted to have so in in most of my in most of my young adult fiction, um, I I like to I like to have uh, um, the backstory of my characters revolve around family. Um, it's just a theme that has always really called to me. Um, and but in in my in my teen novels, uh, my my witch novels, it's always like the an absentee dad but I wanted to explore the theme of like what happens when your mother is that figure in your life um for Izzy and for Jules because they both lost her mom um really early um and so um other than other than just trying to ask questions about who these characters are um you know I might have pulled Izzy's sassiness from a friend um or um the way that Jules looks from looking at this guy like this guy that just passed by me on the subway and I was like oh that he he's Disney bounding bought too obviously uh, <laughs> uh clearly he doesn't know that <laughs> but you know it was it's I feel like I I try to pull from the things that I see every day when I'm out and about, like I forced myself to take a subway to, for, to like, to nowhere downtown and, and just like look at people or listen to conversations. Like writers are very nosy. Um, and so I, um, it, you know, other than that, there's no one specific, but you know, I always did imagine um, what 
the worst way to get dumped is uh, <laughs> and that you know I and I've, I I had like one really bad dumping like breakup scene in my life <laughs> but it wasn't you know obviously I didn't get left in in a uh a cantina that was people were shooting at each other but it was like <laughs> you know I try to pull from that emotion like oh this was really bad how do I catapult this emotion and just make it Star Wars um and so for me as a writer I always look for you know taking taking the mundane things and seeing how characters would react to it because real life doesn't have to make sense but fiction does right mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, just, just everything. Trying just to look have, them everything. Get, have them get dumped on a data pad. <laughs> like, <"Bye." laughs> yeah. I'm just not that into you. <laughs> Tweet. <laughs> so I haven't read your other books. I've planned to though. Like I have this list. I'm like, I need to go buy this <laughs> book and this book and this book. But in this one, you use a lot of internal dialogue to sort of express their yearnings and their desires and stuff like that. Is that a tool you tend to use in a lot of the stuff you write? And then also, I personally feel like it's a tool that's sort of been missed in Star Wars literature. Do you feel like that was an important thing to use for Star Wars? I think that it was an important use specifically for this book because it's taking place in 24 hours. Like when I pitched it, I don't know if you guys seen that, that Ethan Hawke's movie before sunset, uh, before sunrise. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what I pitched. I was like, Hey, can I write before sunrise, but on star Wars land? And they were like, go with God, go with the force. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't believe that, you know, I just, I, I still can't believe that that's, that went through, but obviously I had like more details and, and it's, it's really just the motif of having it be in, in a very truncated period of time to uh, ramp up the, the action that needs to happen. Um, it is something that I use in specifically romance novels. And I think that the internal, like internal monologues are really, really useful because you get that sense of dramatic irony and you get that um, the clash of, of, um, of just wanting to shake both characters and be like, just talk to each other uh, <laughs> so that you can understand your feelings, but you have to get them out there. Um, and I think that when it comes to building relationships, you have to have the sense that the reader knows more than the other person, um, than the other person, right? And so the more the reader knows, I feel like the more connected they are to each character, um, and wants to root for them because in your mind, you're just like, well, if only you knew this little detail that this character is withholding from you, then everything will be okay. So it's just a matter of getting those characters to that point. You had a character in the book that was part of Anna. Is it Anna? Is that how you pronounce her name? Anatola? Yeah, uh, Anatola, yeah. Okay. Part of her crew. And it was an interesting alien species um, called a Ketzalian. Yeah. And I thought I saw that I read the description and I saw the name of the alien and I was like, that's an interesting species to include in there. And um, so I decided to like look it up, expecting that it was going to be some kind of alien species that had been in a number of other things that you had kind of pulled from. But then I realized that you had created this species. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of curious to hear a little bit about kind of that bizarre character design and kind of what um, inspired you to come up with this new species. So um, originally, I had another I had another creature that I'd use for this this character, but because so there something else existed that was that species that I wanted to use, um, and something else existed in the park, and so um, nobody wanted to, like Imagineering and Lucasfilm uh, and myself. We decided we didn't want people to get confused, so they said just make one up or use a different one. And I was like, I can make up species. And they're like, yes, and you can make up moons too. So you don't have to call everything or and planets. Like you don't have to say that everybody went to Naboo, um, just make something up. And I was like, okay. So after I freaked out a little bit with excitement, um, I, I knew I wanted a flying creature and I knew I wanted to be something um, that sort of, stood out and was weird and I wanted a bird creature because um I had 
for some reason, I, I, I had been looking at, I had been doing a lot of research on dragons and birds for something else. Um, and I was like, let's just, you know, dinosaurs used to be, or birds are sort of like dinosaurs. So I just, I wanted to create something uh, smushed in between um, and, and, and bring the, the, the weirdest thing possible that I could while still making her um, function within the within the the cruise dynamics, right? So they need a creature that is like soft and also strange um, and can also fly. So it really was a matter of like the need to the need for her to fly. Um, that 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 you know, um, led me to that design because in my, in my middle grade novels, I, I just like making up creatures. I really, really like weird science and cryptozoology and stuff like that. So it's just a matter of like what things would look strange together. Um, and what kind of looks like it could be, uh, a star Wars creature. So how did you come up with the name for the species? Um, the bird, the Quetzal. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking we just now we just need official art of like what it yes. looks like because I was I was googling I'm like did anybody is there any art out there on this yet <laughs> I you know I wish I were a better artist otherwise I would be like please <laughs> here this is what it looks here, like this is what I pictured but if I drew it it would be like stick figures <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever coordinate with Delilah Dawson at all since she was doing another book that took place in Black Spire Outpost Yes. So, uh, you know, and hers is Black Spire. Um, I did not, the, the only collaboration that we had was uh, Lucasfilm asked us to talk to each other so that we, uh, and also we're friends, so it's fine. Uh, it wasn't like, talk to each other, please. Uh, no, they asked us to, 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 to go over our stories so that um, we didn't, I like she didn't unnecessarily blow up something that I would need on the world later or mm-hmm. I would have to put in a detail of it being rebuilt, you know? Um, but her book takes place in the inception of the resistance being on black spire. Whereas right. mine takes place at the very end where they feel themselves mm-hmm. uh, on the planet. And so because of that, because we have like six months apart from both of our stories it nothing really had to measure up. Um, the, we do share some characters like Doc Onder, um, and I haven't I haven't gotten to her book yet. But so I don't know what other characters are there. But I'm pretty sure that she has Oga Gara. She uh, does quite okay. a bit. Yeah, and so you know we knew that I was gonna have a, a base for for Oga, like a um, an office for her on the outpost, whereas hers is a different different office somewhere else because obviously she's the boss she has multiple offices and places where she keeps all her things uh so you know it was those those were minor things um but i everyone else i sort of made up um and i know that a lot of some people think that um one of the characters at the very very end of the book is vi but she isn't (laughs) no see and I didn't think she was but I can see how people would and also the the two offices thing you were talking about it actually makes sense because in Delilah's book she also kind of references like the multiple offices Mm -hmm. um so no it blended very well together because I've read them both and I'm just like this is great uh so no it was done it was done well it's done very well (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that it, you know, it's such a, an amazing experience being able to write in somewhere like somewhere where multiple people are creating something Um, like the comic books take place in in the past and they also use Doc Onder. um, But, you know, we work with, we work with Lucasfilms for them to be able to tell us like, Oh, the voice on this is right or wrong, or, you, you know, it needs to match a little bit more, but, it was just the coolest thing I've ever done. This this book is kind of unique in that the characters that are the main focus the entire time are completely original characters. And mm-hmm. 
a lot of most of the characters we meet are very original or you know it's kind of the first time we see some of these characters in on on black spire outpost um we get mentions of people like hondo but not no appearance was that mm-hmm. something that you was there ever any kind of idea to maybe include a character or have a cameo or w- was it something that you really intentionally didn't want to have anybody that was kind of more established I did want to I did want to include uh Chewie but uh we didn't want to chance um that the Falcon wouldn't technically like that Falcon technically wasn't there yet because it's like on a mission um and so we didn't want to chance that at too much that it would be you know like interfere with something else um uh so the falcon is just not docked there it's it's off with with hondo <laughs> and chewbacca um but if if i had had my choice i, I would have wanted them there uh so instead i did get to use the you know Onaka transport solutions, which was pretty cool on its own. I've always wanted to use a Karkaradon because uh, in my my debut novel, my YA novel, which is about mermaids, I have these like shark head creatures. So when I remember watching the Clone Wars and yes. being like, "Yes, look at these shark headed creatures!" Like I have the I have something like that in in my book. So I it just it was just such a cool thing to be able to have that and to you know to see what what they might all of the functions like um lee she has um uh like a, a vapor things you know because the air is so dry mm-hmm. in, uh, on <laughs> uh on on the outpost sometimes and so that was that was really fun to be able to create that character uh even though they they just tangentially deal with the existing ex- existing characters yeah, I liked all that too. So, if you were asked to go back to Black Spire Outpost, like let's say, I don't know, after the events of the Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. it, would you, if they asked you to do it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I would actually want to see how Izzy and Jules's adventures end up. Um, how much fighting they do on the meridian mm-hmm. uh, and uh what shenanigans they could get into uh now that this cataclysmic event has happened in the galaxy because like we're all just sort of waiting to see what what's what's going to transpire um and and i know that you know i don't i i'm hoping that um lucasfilm is wants to do more books at the at galaxy's edge because it's such a unique planet and it's a planet that we all get to visit so it would just be cool no it really (laughs) it really would and especially with you know the rise of resistance ride opening and us being able to go into the you know the old outpost ruins and stuff like that like that's really exciting and all that so no i'm right there with you right there with you I got to see a preview, um, like a sneak peek into that ride. Um, they took us all in batches on that oh, wow. day. And I, leg- I like, I cry. Like I was, I stepping into that place was like so gripping. There was a, I didn't feel bad crying because there was like a grown man behind me crying too. It was <laughs> beautiful. Like it, it it really is worth the hype. Um, That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Like now I want to go there with you just because I feel like <laughs> we would like, we'd be like, oh, and this and that uh-huh. and oh. And just, Let's like, do it. Like, we totally should. So Zoraida, if people wanted to, you know, ask you about writing about Star Wars or just interact with you online, what's the best way to do that? Well, on Twitter, I am at Z like in Zorro, the phrase Z like in Zorro. And um, on Instagram, I am Zoraida Solo. Yes. And she had a really <laughs> awesome summer vacation that I followed. <laughs> so uh, her Instagram stories are good, guys. So go follow her. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us and for talking to us all about Crash of Fate. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I hope you guys listening enjoy the book. So I was so excited to, one, get that interview, and then to, two, do it, because I feel like I found a kindred spirit. I don't know. There's a lot of authors from Star Wars that I feel like, these people are me. Uh, but it's just amazing. And then, you know, she is one of the first, if not, well, not only, but first, like, Hispanic writers in Star Wars, like, you know breaking new ground uh but i feel like she really helped me understand more of the book even though i mean it's the book is great it's amazing and just getting to hear what she was thinking about and stuff was just uh, awesome yeah it's cool to hear her talk about it and even we got to i know it's kind of dated now because we did this interview about like a month ago i think but we did talk mm-hmm. about like the the rise of Skywalker trailer, and so she kind of kind of got to talk about her excitement about um, that movie coming up and everything. So, but yeah, she was really fun to talk to. Good, good times. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this particular episode. We hope you guys like that we're doing interviews. We will have some reviews coming for you very, very soon. But if you want to reach us in between shows, we are on Twitter at SWBookworms. You can send us an email to StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just type in Star Wars Bookworms and two things will come up. Our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Our group is where we discuss all things books and comics related with other people that are just like us. So if that's you and you're not a part of our Facebook group, Go ahead and click join, but you'll need to answer a couple of questions that pop up so that we can let you in. Also, go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We love reviews and it helps more people find us. I am at Ice Cold Penguin on Twitter and Instagram and Aaron is at AV Goins. So until next time. Keep on reading and may the force be with you. The end.